Hey guys, this is Wolf Hoffman and you're on Focus on Metal. Balls to the wall. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to yet another week of Focus on Metal as the uh, countdown to our annual winter break continues. Yep, two more shows after this one, and then we will be kicking back for a few weeks, just a little bit of a rest and recuperation, although never really goes that way. We get offered interviews, all kinds of stuff, and it's uh, never truly that what you can call a break. Anyways, all bitching aside, great show for you this week. Two guests sliding in at the last minutes of uh, 2018. First up, we will have Wolf Hoffman from Accept. And if uh, those of you who have been living under a rock don't realize that Accept put out a brand new release, Symphonic Terror, live at Vakken. And if you have the opportunity to get any of the special editions of that one, I would urge you to get that. They have a really nice one that I got for myself with the uh, the two CDs, a DVD, and a Blu-ray, all in a nice hardbound book. But any way that you would decide to get it, just go out and get it. Support our buds in Accept. Also, this week, we'll be talking with Connor Garrity from All Hail the Yeti. Uh, a few weeks ago, Richie was able to get on a call with Connor and talk about their brand new release, Highway Crosses. So Connor was able to fill Richie in on everything about All Hail the Yeti, including uh, why the hell you would call your band All Hail the Yeti, an all-important question. And yes, Richie did ask it. So that is what is in store for you this week. A nice balance, some classic metal with Wolf Hoffman, and then some new... Uh, I'd like to say up-and-comers, but these guys have been around since 2006, but some new metal with uh, All Hail the Yeti. But before we dive into those interviews, you know, it's been a few weeks. I think it's time for a track of the week. So way back on episode 102, we had a chat with Brian Holland back when Reverence put out their debut release, When Darkness Calls. You know, whenever I read that title for that album, I just keep thinking Night Demon. But anyways, yep, the debut album from uh, Reverence was When Darkness Calls. And like I said, back on 102, we talk with Brian Holland, uh, formerly of Tokyo Blade, all about the uh, the new band, the album, all that good stuff. And last Friday, Reverence put out their live album. It's called Vengeance Is Live. And uh, great tracks there, you know, 15 songs all together, whole entire live set, good stuff. And it actually in, uh, includes two covers as well, a really cool cover of Iron Maiden's Wasted Years, as well as Sabotage's Power of the Night. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of uh, of some stuff going back to Sabotage in this band, obviously with uh, Steve Dr. Kildrums Wackles, who's from uh, Crimson Glory and Sabotage. And, uh, of course, Scott Oliva on vocals. And you might know him back from uh, Wind Wraith or Inner Strength. Obviously, Brian Holland uh, from uh, Tokyo Blade. Paul Gleff, who was in uh, Metal Church, as well as Firewolf. And then uh, Russ Prudio, who was... Uh, plays live with uh, Twisted Sister as well as Dee Snyder. But like I said, great new live album out from Reverence. 
And if you want to find out more about Reverence, you can always go to facebook.com slash Reverence Metal, or you could also hit them up at their site at reverencemetal.com. So what do you say we play a track of the week off of Vengeance Is Live? And there are, as I said, so many good tracks to choose from on this one. You know, the opener with When Darkness Calls, which is one of their classics, or even the end one, which is a huge favorite of just about every Reverence fan that is a Revolution Rising. But thought I'd go with another one of my favorite Reverence tracks. So off of the new one from Reverence, Vengeance Is Live. This is Angel in Black. Track of the week from Reverence's brand new one, Vengeance is Live. And again, want to find out more about those guys, go to reverencemetal.com. So first up on our cavalcade of stars this week is, of course, Wolf Hoffman. Wolf has been out doing the old promotion circuit to promote the new release, Symphonic Terror, live at Vakken 2017. Good stuff. A lot of music in this package. And you get uh, you get some great stuff from Accept on here with Die by the Sword, Restless and Wild. You know a lot of great classic Accept tunes on here, and even you know even new stuff like Stalingrad is on here and Teutonic Terror and classics like Balls to the Walls. But at the same time, you get some stuff that's going on with uh, the Accept with the orchestra stuff. So they have some classic orchestral stuff, and uh, you got some stuff from Wolf's Headbanger Symphony with some, uh, you know, the old double cello concerto in G minor, a metal classic to be sure. So all kinds of good stuff. And as I said, uh, you know, Wolf has been out here, like, just making the rounds, talking to everybody that uh, he deems that he can talk to all about the brand new release. And we were fortunate enough to be able to get a, a talk with the guy himself. Unfortunately, 
got cut a little bit short. I guess there must have been some phone issues between Richie and uh, and the call getting through or whatever. So kind of lost a. a I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of time with Wolf. But anyways, do appreciate the fact that he didn't kind of just go, ah, screw this, but he did keep trying to get a hold of Richie. And I guess third time was the charm. So what do you say we spin you a little sample of something off of Symphonic Terror? And as we usually do, we'll go from there right into Richie's chat with the legendary Wolf Hoffman of Accept. Hi Wolf, how are you? Hey man, I called a few minutes ago, but I guess it didn't go through. No, uh, it, did, it didn't ring at all. Really? I no. got the voicemail twice. Yeah, did it? yeah nothing. <laughs> That's bizarre. Yeah, I called right on time like a good German, but nothing happened, I guess. Okay, so do, do I have 15 minutes? Am I still okay? Yeah, you're still okay. You're the last one today, actually. So. Oh, oh good, oh good. I don't know how many uh, fellow Europeans you've been talking to today. Uh, none actually. Mostly Yankees, I guess. <laughs> you can probably tell I'm Irish. Irish. Yeah. What brought you brought you over here? Love, I hope. Yes, my wife is from here. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so let's get right into it, Wolf. Um, how how many times in the past did you bring up the idea of of playing with Accept with an orchestra? You know. Not very often. I always felt I wanted to play myself this instrumental stuff with an orchestra because it was, you know, originally written for orchestra. So I, I always felt like, ooh, that'd be cool if I could play 
my metal guitar with an orchestra, but I didn't ever think so much about except songs with orchestra. That was sort of a newer idea, and originally I was like not even sure how good of an idea it, it, it might be until we tried it out and until we wrote all the arrangements. And then, then I heard it, and I thought, like, yeah, it's way cool. I yeah. like it. So did did Peter take much convincing that it was a good idea? Uh, a little bit. He he was not a huge fan uh, of the whole idea. I mean, he was he was going along, of course. The accept part was easy for him, but he was not. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't. He is not as crazy about all this stuff as I am. So yeah. But in the end, it, it, you know, he enjoyed it too. I'm sure. Yeah. Now you decided to do it at Vacan. Um, yeah. I'm curious. Uh, when the promoter booked you guys to do it, did he know you wanted to do it with an orchestra straight away, or was that added in after it? Uh, no, actually, the whole idea, Vakken contacted me to to do my world premiere live presentation of Headbanger Symphony at Vakken with an orchestra. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, since we, uh, the, the release of for, for Rise of Chaos, for that album coincided with that show, um, Somebody suggests, or they suggested, why well, don't I perform there also and play some new songs of the new album? And then step number three was, well, except it's there, and we have an orchestra already on stage with you guys, oh, on stage already, why don't you play some except songs with the orchestra? And so that's how these parts came about, uh, how that whole three-part concept was born. Uh, but it all started originally with me just playing, you know, Headbanger Symphony stuff. Yeah. Now, I had Mark Tremonti on from Alterbridge a couple of months ago, and they did, they just released uh, an album that they did with an orchestra, but they did it in the Royal Albert Hall. So you're looking at an indoor venue with great acoustics, great tradition, and you're doing an outdoor show, and you can have the best orchestra in the world, but you're, the elements can kill you on it if, the, if it rains or if the wind is really bad. Sure. So, like, was that a consideration at all going into this that you mightn't actually do it because it, because it was outdoors? Well, we knew it was going to be acoustically a challenge and a little bit of a compromise. And you're absolutely right. If I, if, if you consider all everything, you probably, for acoustic reasons, you want to be at an indoor venue and you want to be at Royal Albert Hall or some symphony hall. Um, which is exactly what we're going to be doing next year when we're going to play more shows like that. We're going to play indoors at nice venues that were actually constructed for symphony orchestras. But, you know, at Wacken, we didn't have a choice. We either do this show and it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience um, or, we, you know, we say, well, no, we better wait for better acoustics. So that wasn't really <laughs> an option, you know. Yeah. But in the end... It sounded fine, you know, because we closed mic every in, in individual orchestra, uh, orchestra player and all that. Uh, it was pretty good. Yeah. Was it, it was it pretty easy to pick the songs? Because one of the things that you'll hear people say, especially when when they're playing with an orchestra, is that the faster songs are more difficult to fit the orchestra in because there's less room to breathe. Weirdly enough, we didn't have that experience. I mean, I was actually shocked how well some of the but the way we constructed the the arrangements, or I have to say, my friend Melo Mafali wrote the score. The way that he did it, it really worked super well, and it sounds 
even when you turn up the band part and let, really just listen to the orchestra, what they're playing, it sounds like a classical composition almost. It sounds like it was written for orchestra. Yeah. But it is way fast, and it, it's fun as hell, and they enjoyed it. So, no, we didn't have that issue at all. Yeah. Did, did you ever think of doing what maybe Metallica did with their one and maybe writing a new song that, that's written especially for you to work with an orchestra? Mm, no, not yet. We might do it one day, but it wasn't really the case because I felt like my stuff from Headbanger Symphony, all that orchestra, all that stuff was written with the orchestra in mind, really, you know. Yeah. And and what about maybe pulling out an accept song that you hadn't played in a long time as an added bonus and putting it in the set? Was that considered? Uh, well, we went through the set list and picked the songs that really would work best with orchestra orchestration, and that's those are the ones that we focused on. Um, and pretty much everything that we tried worked really well. I mean, there was some songs we we said we have to play, like Balls to the Wall, for instance, that Metal Heart. I mean, there was no question that we were going to do those, but uh, there were some songs like, you know, Last of the Dying Breed or uh, Shadow Soldiers, which we picked because there were some strong melodic elements in there that probably would sound really well, really great with an orchestra, and they worked really well. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, Wolf, about the the process of actually picking the orchestra. Who did who who actually did that? Uh, I did that because I knew the guys from when I recorded my solo album with them, okay. and they were from Prague. And I don't know how I got the initial contact, but uh, they were suggested to me. I, I met the guys and I talked to them, and they seemed to be super open minded and uh, not alienated at all. They wasn't like. There were, you know, some uh, from what I've heard. I mean, some orchestra players that in their own serious classical world that don't really want to do this sort of truck over stuff. But man, these guys were totally open minded to anything. Yeah, and did you find that a lot of them were accept fans anyway? Were they aware of that world really? Uh, they seem to enjoy it really much. I don't know how much uh, of them were really accept connoisseurs and accept fans. Hard to tell because I, did, I mean there were so many people there. The people I didn't speak with all of them. I never even got to know, know them personally that at all. A couple mm-hmm. of the guys, but that's pretty much it. And that's the way uh, that it really works with an orchestra. You don't get to spend much time with them beforehand, and hardly any after. It's like you know you meet you you you, you bring the scores. They play what you tell them to. What's in front of them, and it works. And then. That's it. And then they get up and go and leave. You know, they're like, <laughs> it's a totally different world, so to say, from, I mean, you know, they're, they're really disciplined. That they, they take their breaks really seriously and they give you exactly three and a half hours of rehearsal time. And the time is up, the time is up, they all go home. End of story, yeah. you know. <laughs> so you only had a couple of hours to work through the songs before you actually did the show. That's correct, yeah. I mean, it was more than a couple of hours, but it was really just a day. Wow. And and that day is really short because, like I said, they have a very tight, they're almost like union people. You know, they they they, they do, a, I don't know, 45 minutes, and they take a five-minute break, and then take another break, and before you know it, your time's up. <laughs> so do you think you were more nervous doing this show than maybe some of the other ones you've done recently because of the scale of it? Yeah, I was more nervous than any show that I can remember. Wow. I mean, seriously, it was uh, because so many things were unknown and so many things were like 
I hope this works as planned. Uh, that yeah, there was plenty of room for things to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing, of course, is uh, you had to make sure that the orchestra was available the day you were doing the show. Oh yeah, of course that was prearranged like several months ago, and but you never, yeah, if they wouldn't have showed up or something would have happened, yeah, yeah, it would have been bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm sure you had a, co- a drink or two after that show, relief. Better, you better did. <laughs> so tell me about the shows you're going to do next year. Um, do you think it's going to be the same set, or are you going to try and maybe mess around a little bit with it? Yeah, we'll mess around. And we'll want to incorporate some new, new uh, songs of the new album, Rise of Chaos, because we didn't uh, at the last show. And I'd also love to throw in some other songs of my previous solo album, uh, because there's some really cool songs in there that I would love to play with an orchestra. So mm-hmm. um, actually starting next week, we will uh, go through the arrangements and... Uh, um, you know, spend about a week or ten days in my studio to go through that stuff and and write the arrangements for that and make sure we've got a complete sort of new running order and get it all worked out. Yes. So, Wolf, how many shows do you reckon you're going to do with this format? Like, I know you've got some booked for I think for April next year, but can you see that uh, running into uh, maybe the summer, maybe the autumn next year too? It's going to run into the summer for sure, and probably a little bit in, into the fall as well. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to be like a massive amount of shows just because of the scale of things. It's going to be more of a select uh, type deal where we're going to do a few here and there, and then come back and do a few more. There. But it's not, you know, with a with a big organization and a big entourage like that, you can't really go on the road for like uh, three months and stuff because these yeah. things. They are quite challenging, as you can imagine. We're yeah. going to actually play some shows with local local orchestras and some others where we're going to bring our own and travel with a bus from A to B and all that. Um, so it's going to be a mixed bag of different shows, but they all will be at nicer venues than normal rock clubs. I mean, they're going to be like symphony halls and that sort of ambiance and, you know, nice. Yeah. C- can you see... Can you see yourself maybe incorporating it into uh, some of the songs on the next Accept record after doing this? I don't know. Maybe. Never say never, but probably we're going to keep the, the, the Accept pure and clean <laughs> without... It's going to be pure metal, I, I, would, I would think. Maybe we're going to do a song string arrangement if it's a ballad. And we've done that in the past, but really for the most part, it's going to be what it has always been, I think, pure metal for guitars and such. Yeah. I think that the fun for the fans and for us is if, if the songs were originally written for guitars and, and rock metal band, and then one day you hear them in a different format than before, and that's where the, that's when it gets interesting. But, you know, we don't really want to go into the studio and write everything for an orchestra because then we'd almost have to bring an orchestra no matter where we go. And besides, I don't think that's that's really what the fans are expecting from us. Yeah, yeah. So have you already started writing for the next record or is that something you don't do when you're on the road at all? You don't write? It's really hard for me to do while I'm traveling, but I have some ideas written and I have some some songs started, yeah. But the majority of the stuff is still to come. Okay. I haven't really done a whole lot yet. 
it's, yeah. I really really have to like lock the doors and, and, and turn off the phone for several weeks and months and get into it full yeah. force or else yeah. I never make much you know just a final couple of questions for me Wolf before I leave you go um, I'm a huge fan of the four albums you've done with Mark and um, I'm, I'm just curious which one is your favourite <laughs> You know, you always tend to say the last one is. Uh, I'm not sure, but the, there was something very magical about the Blood of the Nations, the very first one, and mainly because it is the first one. It's, it's almost like, you know, here we found Mark, and we were working with him t- for the first time together ever, and there was a certain energy in the room that that is kind of unique, um, and and I think that sort of t- somehow translates onto the album as well. And that you know, there's always one one time is the first one. It's almost like first love or whatever. You know, when we just first get together, there's something very special about it. Yeah, I think the um, when that album came out, it must have surprised you the reaction it got because it was overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, it definitely was. Especially since uh, before people had heard the album, there was a lot of negative vibes on in chat rooms and online and everywhere people all everybody had an opinion you know like it is nowadays with with uh, social media and such everybody had some idea of what this except is going to be like or what it's not going to be like and why it will work or will not work and you know people were just like gossiping like crazy but then when the album came out all that went away and people were like super excited and you know everybody was yeah, you know, uniformly, you know, praises everywhere. Yeah. Critics ever. <laughs> yeah. So, Wolf, you've done the orchestral album now. You're gonna do. T- you're gonna do shows. Um, can you ever see an except doing acoustic album? No. <laughs> That's hard to imagine for me, and I, I think it's fairly safe to say that will never happen. Okay. Uh, that's probably, I've, I've often never been a big fan of these things, to be honest. Uh, of course, it works better for some than others, but I don't see it happening. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, Wolf. Well, have a good rest of the night, and have a nice Thanksgiving tomorrow. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, happy holidays to you, too. You, too. Take care of yourself, okay? I'll see you out there. See you, man. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Once again, big thanks to Wolf Hoffman for taking the time to talk to Richie all about Symphonic Terror. And again, as I mentioned, you know, available in lots of formats. You can head up to the uh, shop.nuclearblast.com, and there's several versions of this puppy available. You can get the uh, the earbook, which is the version that I got. You can also get the um, the live at uh, Vakin one that's a two CD plus a Blu-ray. You've also got the three LP box set. And uh, you get the digipack with the two CDs. There's a regular three LP box with the uh, black vinyl. So you get a gold vinyl, you get a black vinyl, all good stuff. And again, you can go to shop.nuclearblast.com. So up next is Connor Garrity from All Hail the Yeti. These guys just released their third one, and it is called Highway Crosses. And Richie, as I mentioned, was able to hop on the phone and have a long chat with singer Connor Garrity all about how this album came together, the whole thing with the name of the band, the history of the band, kind of a a lot of in-depth stuff about the writing and the working with the producers. And he really worked this one from a different angle. So good stuff with, uh, with Richie and Connor Garrity. 
So what do you say we spin uh, Slow Season, which is the single off of Highway Crosses, and from there, roll right into Richie's chat with Connor Garrity of All Hail the Yeti. The woods are haunting me, surviving slowly alone. I've been put to the test, the fear is taking over. I'm all right. It's uh, Richie here from Focus on Metal. How are you? I'm doing great, Richie. How are you doing? I'm okay. So you're in California. I am in California. Beautiful, sunny, drenched in smoke, California. Where are you at? Your phone, your phone number says you're in Lowell, Mass. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm just outside of Boston. Um, it's, yeah. It's snowing. It's fucking freezing cold. I heard my uh, our original guitar player is from Stowe. Oh, okay. I know where Stowe is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. Yeah, you, pro- you, you can probably tell though my accent. I'm not originally from here. Are you from Ireland, my friend. I am from Ireland. Well, great to talk to fellow brethren. Yeah, have. Uh, yeah. Have you toured Europe much? We have three times. Okay. Never been to Ireland though. Okay, so what are we talking? Festivals? Uh no, we've done full tours. Uh, we did two tours of 36 Crazy Fits, and we just got on the tour with uh, Life of Agony. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So, a lo- lot of UK shows in that, or just the mainland? Uh, we did UK twice. Okay. It's kind, yep. it's kind of a fi- finicky market for some bands in Europe, because, especially when it comes to the UK, a lot of them t- tend to find that th- th- their, their main market over there is the mainland Europe, and not, not necessarily England. Uh, you know, we did we did really well in England and and Scotland both times we were there. Yeah. Uh, and we did the first time we did John, I think like fifteen shows in the UK. Okay. And the second the second time was like seven or eight. Okay. And, and every every single one of them were great. Okay. Can you definitely see 
uh, your audience growing over there every time you go? Absolutely. This okay. last time we were back, um, we noticed that, uh, I mean, we did mainland Europe more this, this run, but there was definitely a lot of people showing up in our shirts, a lot more people sit up front row singing along. Um, you know, every night we had somebody else that would come up and say, hey, you know, I drove from this spot to come to you guys play. I'm here for you. So I think, uh, you know, the hard work is starting to pay off. Yeah, I think what what I'm finding talking to a lot of a lot of musicians these days is they're very conscious of the social media that they have they really try and keep in touch with the the fans directly, and then oh, yeah. then you can kind of gauge when you actually go over there who's who's uh, who's going to actually go to the gigs. For sure, is that something that you're definitely like on top of? Yeah, you know, we definitely. Um in the last year or so, we've definitely stepped up our social media game quite a bit. Um, it, you know, I, I've always been one to, to kind of embrace it, and it's you know, it's kind of one of those necessary evils that that while you know a lot of people spend too much of their time and their you know their necks and their heads are buried in their phones, um, you got to find a happy medium. I think, and I definitely think it's. You know, we found ourselves starting in a in a time when there wasn't any of that, and gradually moving into when it became something that's so important. So, I feel like as, as any artist, if you can't adapt to the times, you're going to sink. Yeah, is is the is the music business now on this band? Is that is that a full time job for you? Uh, I, it is not. I own a um, tattoo studio in Hollywood. Okay. I'm well, I am a tattoo artist. Of, I've been tattooing and playing music just about the same length of time. Okay, is that something you can do on the road as well? Yes, like, I, you I, do. I always, yeah, I always travel with my tattoo stuff, and you know, I don't necessarily tattoo a lot when I'm touring, um, but mostly just like the fans that we're out with, or friends, or the guys, or you know, sometimes we'll stay back and work in a spot where, I've, yeah, where I'm, you know, where I've got friends or something like that. Like this time around, we we finished the tour in in Belgium, and I had booked myself to be at the Amsterdam tattoo convention long before we got the, tat the, the tour so it ended up working out so as soon as the tour finished I jumped right into tattooing again at the convention nice nice and at, yeah. least, you, at least you're over there as well you know so you're able to combine both of them exactly yeah yeah so, so let's let's get into the record Connor um, I'm, rel I'm relatively new to the band um, okay. and I think it's like I think well, there's so much music out there now that it, it's kind it's difficult to, uh, you know, to to kind of rise above a lot of the other bands. It's like okay, where am I actually going to hear you? Does radio play you? That 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 kind of a deal, you know. So do you have a, uh -huh. a fairly big radio presence over here? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's as big as we'd like it to be, but we're always trying our best to. Um to, to get it, you know, to push it and get it as big, bigger and bigger every every time. So, um, I don't know. I honestly, I have kind of like unfamiliar territory to me. You know, I don't, I don't really. Um, the label would know more about that, and our, and our management and stuff. I don't really pay attention to too much of that, which maybe I should more. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because I don't listen to the radio. Yeah. Um, the radio, the radio stations in LA are K Rock, which doesn't play rock and roll anymore. It's now it's alternative only. And there's KLOS, which is classic rock. So there's no really like radio station that's you know aside from maybe like I think Full Metal Jackie does a does an hour a week or something like that. So they want to listen to any type of heavy music. You got to get the satellite radio, and I don't I don't have satellite radio. So 
Yeah, when I moved over here first uh, from Ireland, um, they, they hardly play any rock on the radio over there at all. And oh, but, really? Yeah, so when I came over here first, it was like, oh, fantastic, they're playing Van Halen and Led Zeppelin. And, and then I've realized that they play the same Van Halen and the same Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it's, yeah. just, it's just repetitive over here as well that it's very yeah, hard yeah. for a new band now to, to get any exposure on radio over here. Yeah, and I think that that, that I mean, for a, for a band like of of our size, it's you know everybody's striving to get a song on the radio, and if you, you know if you don't get it, if you don't get a song on the radio, you're not going to make it, and you're not going to be successful, and and it's a shitty way to have to think, you know. And it's I don't think it's it's because they want to think like that. It's just you know it's it's just the way that it's ended up, and it's a shame because back in the day, if you you know when you got a record deal, it was like okay. This label's going to do really good for us, and you know, 360 deals, and they push the album and put everything out there and spend the money to get it out and get it get it uh, to the matches. But now it's kind of on your own. Yeah. And so I feel like the radio thing is, is again, another double-edged sword where it's a necessary evil that, like, without it, you know, your career might stay stagnant, and but with it, you might you're always trying to get to that point and I think a lot of bands lose sight of what they're really doing this for and, and what it's about to make music, you know, and for us, we just make music for, you know, music that we want to listen to. If I was in a band, if I wasn't in a band and I heard All Hail the Yeti, I would probably buy all of their CDs. Yeah. So, so, so Connor, how do you define success now for the band? Uh, I mean... I would consider my band to be successful. And we've done, you know, uh, I started out in Canada. I was a young dude that lived in Canada and, you know, I wanted to be a musician and I've always wanted to be, you know, Vince Neil was my idol when I was a kid and Kiss and all that stuff and Phil Anselmo and Lane Staley and it was like I wanted to do that. That's what I've always wanted to do with my life. And, you know, back then I didn't have a record deal and I didn't want to doing interviews and I wasn't going to Europe and stuff. And, and now I have, you know, I've done, this was my third record. Um, I'm on my second record deal. I've done numerous music videos. I've been to Europe three times. I've toured Canada. I've toured the United States numerous times. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, I would consider, consider my band to be a successful band. You know, a financially successful, that's a different story. You know, it costs money to make money. And, you know, we're constantly spending money and we, you know, re-upping our gear and trying to do as best we can with what we have to, like, better ourselves and give a better show and make sure we're putting on as best of a possible performance as we can. Mm. Um, so I think it's level of success, you know? Like, at this point right now, I'm way more successful than a lot of bands. But I'm also not quite as successful as a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure loads of people have asked you over the years um, where the name of the band came from. But I don't want to ask that. I, I want to ask what were the names that were rejected before you picked All Hail the Yeti as the name? Oh, man. I don't really remember. We had, I don't remember what we had originally, to be honest. Um, the band was originally called Just Yeti. And uh, now we had it as Yeti for a couple of years. And as we started to get more popular and doing, you know, bigger stuff in California, and then right before we got our record deal, uh, 
you know, we had started having everybody chant all Hail the Yeti you know, in the crowd, doing like a kind of a crowd participation thing. Uh-huh. And we had made some shirts that had all Hail the Yeti on the front of it. And all of our URLs were, you know, allhailtheyeti.com, Facebook, all Hail the Yeti, because Yeti was already taken. There's a cooler company, there's a mountain bike company, there was already a couple bands named Yeti. Um, so it was already kind of in place before we even really realized that that was what the name was going to be. And as we were getting closer to signing our first deal, you know, we realized that we were probably going to run into problems with the name Yeti just because there was other bands that had already had it first. There was a cooler company, there was a, you know, the mountain bike company and, you know, we're going to be making t-shirts and doing all this stuff. So we just decided that, you know, let's, let's go with this all hail the Yeti. It has more of a, I don't know. It just it, it just felt like the right thing to do at the time, and it, you know we didn't have to really think about what we were going to change it to. It was just like let's call it all Hail the Yeti. Okay. No, it was more of a it was more of an action and something that we want people to do other than just a noun. You know, like bow to the Yeti, like <laughs> is it kind of a thing. You know, yeah, almost like almost like a prayer kind of a thing. So. That's, yeah, that was it. I mean, as far as what were names were, I would have to go back to my notes from 10 years ago and look and see. There was probably a lot. I mean, I think we were going back and forth with names for a long time. <laughs> okay. So you've got Warren Riker in to produce this record. You've done a couple of albums now. Why do you think you still need a producer? Um, that's a different, that's a, that's a, a great question, actually, because a lot of bands, don't anymore you know they or they don't think they do because everybody now because of the technology and stuff everybody can record their own band now mm-hmm. um while we do our own demoing and write our songs i think having that fifth person come in uh from well, not like behind the sidelines or like on the sidelines and just step in and you know i think someone like warren saw our vision saw what we were doing and heard what we were doing and had a whole other list of like great talents that he could bring to the table. And while he didn't try to change our sound, but change us from doing and I think that's a really like a really big thing that producers tend to do. They they tend to try to like control what a band's doing and, you know, their ideas are their ideas and there's you know, there's no room for any change or anything like that. Warren was the opposite. Warren you know, knew when knew when good to voice his opinion and knew when his idea was good and knew when it, you know, when we weren't having it. You know, if we if we voiced an idea and we didn't like it, it was that was it. It wasn't anything anything more than that. And vice versa. It was always been like like that for us. We always try everything once and if it doesn't work, we scrap it. If it works, then great. Um and Warren yeah, Warren was uh quickly like well as soon as we got to the studio you know it was great to work and it became like it's almost like he was like, like I said the fifth member of the band and it was just it, just, it was almost and I hate to say this because a lot of bands always say that there was something magic in that room like in the, in that studio when we were there and, and it quickly quickly was very visible and and we knew really quickly and or like really early into the recording that we had something really special yeah. and um and it was different for, for our last two records. I mean, our first record was... And I'm not trying to take away from the other records and the other producers by any means. You know, the first record was produced by Tommy and Mike, who's Fine Shank. And they were dear friends of ours, and they still are. And 
they were around at the beginning, you know, the early stages of the band as far as songwriting progressed from, from, you know, young guys and young band and our first, you know, that was 10 of our first 15 songs that we ever wrote. And then you flash forward to when Warren Riker, or to, to when, um, you know, Matt Hyde checked in and Matt Hyde had his way of doing things and, and whether we agree with how producers work, it's, you know, it's, that's fine. But Warren was, you know, definitely that was the best experience for me on a recording level. Like, it was just, it was an unbelievable experience. We got to leave L.A. We weren't near our homes. We weren't near our loved ones. We were, you know, we were completely 100% focused at the studio and we were living there. And it was just a, you know, I, I'm, I'm already, actually was on the phone with him yesterday talking about, like, all right, what are we doing next? So, <laughs> nice. You know, yeah, the, you know, the wheels are always turning. Yeah. So, so Connor, tell me about the process of picking someone like Warren. Like, do you have a list of producers? That, like, was he the only name on it? Uh, no. I mean, we, we always, when the King time to do this record, we uh, we had no idea what we were going to do. We just knew that we weren't going to use Matt Hyde again, and we knew that we needed to find someone else. And we needed to find, you know, what we so much about, about, what they've done and the quality, like the their resume or who it was, it was more about whether they were gonna it was gonna work with us and and fit with us. And you know, it's hard. It's hard to find somebody, and and you never know. You go into it blindly. It's like going on a blind date, kind of. It's like handing something so personal to you and just handing it over to someone and trusting them with it. Mm-hmm. And Warren was um, on the list to mix our first record, and for whatever reason that fell through and he didn't end up doing it and then we were all kind of throwing names in the hat a couple of producers came up beforehand that weren't able to do it one you know one one guy was a couple of people wanted him to and then other people didn't and we just disagreed and so finally I'm like you know I, I drew it in the nail I'm like what about Warren and everybody was just kind of like you know Nick knew Warren Junior and Alan didn't know who Warren was or, uh, our label wasn't very familiar with him but uh you know, I just felt strongly about it. And I'm like, look, guys, let's, let's give this a shot. And we had really good conversations with him. And he had been on a two-year hiatus. Uh, he was quit doing any records for a couple of years, and he was living down in Belize. And he had just come back, and we threw the name out. It was a, through the record, and he was like 100% in from the very beginning. He was like, yep, I'm in. I want to do it. I've always loved the band. And like I said, as soon as we started, it was like he'd been in the band for 10 years. Wow. Was there, yeah. any, was there any particular song, what, looking back on it now, that when you sang on the album, that like he really pushed you on to get a performance? Uh, every one of them. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I, have a, I struggle quite a bit in the studio with recording and, and with, with, with singing because of, because of how aggressive it is. And it's very taxing on the body and my head. And, and you know when it's when it's something that's been been rehearsed and played over and over again, um, it becomes easier. But when all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're going to change this and do this now, and it's it's just tough on the body. And and uh, Warren was just always like, while he was understanding, he was still very stern about like, look, dude, you can do this. You know, you got it. And he wasn't like. He wasn't an asshole about it, where producers in the past have been like, dude, that's it, that's all you can do, like, that's fucking weak. You know what I mean? They take a negative mm. approach to, like, to try to, like, pull this aggression out of you. And, I'm, and again, this is part of being a good producer, is finding out the way 
how to work with people and figuring out people's personalities beforehand so you don't piss anybody off. And he was like, he was just really good with it. And, um, I mean, as far as performance, I mean, I think the nuclear dust was one of the toughest ones because of the speed of it and the, the vocal patterns and stuff. It was very, very difficult to like, nail, you know, we did quite a few takes of it and, you know, and then you're going back and you're doubling and you're layering stuff and doing high high stuff and lower stuff and a yeah. lot of stuff that you, you know, as a listener, it sounds great, but you don't really understand what really went into that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I think probably Nuclear Dots, to answer that question, is, you know, it's simply a problem. Yeah, so, so, how do you decide when to do the clean vocal and when to do like the, the guttural stuff is it, is it pretty easy now for you to figure it out uh no I mean it, I mean it's easy yeah we just you know we kind of understand the, the way the songs want but for the first for how it crosses it was just it it was just the way we wrote it you know and like you know some songs were written like wrote as we were writing them, we're like, oh yeah, this would be a great spot for, for Nick to sing, you know, and this would be really cool. And whether it's a verse or a chorus, it didn't really matter. It was never any something that we're like, oh, we have to have screaming here and we have to have singing here. Hmm. It was always just, it's always just been like, what's best for the song? You know, there's a couple of songs that, um, with, if there were a song on there called Withdraw Delirium. Mm -hmm. um, originally the song was going to have Nick singing, singing the, the choruses, but you know, as we got into it, and Warren was like, "You know what? Like, let's, Connor, why don't you do this part?" And it's just kind of how it works. And at the end of the day, if everyone, you know, we try everything once, see if it's going to sound good or not. And you know, nothing is too contrived with us. It's always like, okay, well, and you know, slow season was two songs. Originally, it, it started off with two completely separate songs, and we took the two best parts from from those songs and turned it into one song. So. <laughs> and the and the, the 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 bridge of the one song became the verses and and the chorus was rewritten and it's just like it's almost like this crazy like Frankenstein like I don't know how to even say it like you're like building this crazy puzzle as you go. Okay. Did, yeah. Can you remember Warren making a suggestion in the studio and like it, you, you change the song around a lot. And you probably wouldn't have done it yourselves. That you needed that outside voice to do it. Oh yeah, I mean, not almost every song. You know, there was something that he would he would hear that we didn't. You know, because we would always we've been playing them for however long. And Al and I were in my little studio at my house and just writing and writing and writing. And you know, once we got to a certain point, okay, this is when we we get a skeleton of a song done. You know, like half the base of the song, like figure out what the chorus was going to be, like whether even there was even any lyrics for it at that point. It was just more like melody. Mm. And then, all right, cool, let's move on to the next one. And then once we get in the studio, we'll, 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 we'll fine-tune them, basically. And, yeah, there was probably, I don't know, I mean, more cases than, than just one part on a song. On every song, he was, like, very, very, very in, involved in, involved in, in, in the entire writing process, except for a couple songs that we had written with an outside writer. Um, Jarrell from Hollywood Undead wrote a couple songs with us. Okay. Beforehand, but he but he was there for the for the production of it, and and he took those songs and and turned them into what they became. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the entire time he was he was a huge huge part of what was happening. Yeah. So, so Connor, how protective are you on the songs that you write? Are you someone that will put your foot down and say, "Look, there's no fucking way I'm changing this"? Uh, no. I it, it, 
there's been times when it's happened because if I feel strongly about something and I had come up with an idea and I know it's going to be cool, I want to, I want to see it through and see it through and record it and listen to it and listen back and then make the decision. Cause a lot of times everybody's like, no, no, that's dumb. That's dumb. Cause they don't really understand what you're trying to like, you know, I don't play guitar, so I can't just sit on the guitar and go, okay, listen to this. You know, I have to like, kind of like talk it through. Mm-hmm. And so there's been, there's been a couple of times where guys, where the guys are like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. I'm like, you guys, please just, just hear me out. Try it. Just try it. Let's just try it. If everybody at the end doesn't like it, then, then we'll, we'll scrap it. And so, yeah, but you know, again, it's that, that whole thing where, where I'm, I'm writing songs and making music with, you know, including Warren with four other like insanely talented musicians, insanely talented artists. So to hear everybody's opinion out is, is, is I would be stupid not to. I mean, it would be the same thing. It would be like running my business. And if Warren Buffett came in and it was like, Hey man, you probably should do this. It'd be dumb of me not to listen and, and at least consider the fact. Mm. Has, has it ever happened where you put your foot down and then they've decided, the rest of the guys have decided to get you to do it another way. And you've been proven right. And you can turn around and say, look, I told you I was right all the time. Uh, there, I mean, I think there's been that case for everybody, you know, yeah. like there's, there's definitely, definitely on, on the last record when I wanted to do, when I wanted to do Witch is Dead and take the, take the spin off from Wizard of Oz, everybody kind of looked at me like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, you guys just trust me, hear me out. And now it's one of the, our favorite songs to play. It's one of our most like requested songs and everybody loves it. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's happened, and it's happened in the past where we wanted to try something, and then just like, no, 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 and then we get it done, and they're like, and we listen to it, and I'm and I'm the first one to go, yeah, you're right, this is terrible. <laughs> so yeah, I think, and I think that goes with everybody, you know. Like I said, we give everybody a shot to like have their voices heard, and unless they're not unless they're not present, if they're not showing up to, to writing sessions and being being present to sort of work and putting in the work and then they show up and they're like oh I don't like that then it's like well sorry dude you lost your opportunity to have a say yeah yeah, yeah. So, so Connor the album Highway Crosses I have to say I love it um, oh thank you there's there's certain albums that have come out this year that have just come my way just doing what I do that get sent to me and uh-huh. this is definitely one of them it's, it's that have blown me away oh well thank you man I appreciate it Yes. Yeah, so, so what have what have you got coming up in the near future? I take it you're going out on the road soon to promote this. Yeah, we're home. We're home now until the beginning of next year. Uh, we are in the in the running for two pretty decent sized tours. One starting in the end of January, and then one starting at the beginning of March. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not at the liberty to uh, say what it is yet, just because they haven't been 100 percent confirmed. Okay. But, uh, you know, touring is, is what we're going to do. We're going to definitely get back to the UK. UK is on the top of our list. Um, and tour the United States, tour Canada. We'd like to get to Australia. Um, Japan is definitely on the list, South America. So it's just, you know, now the real, the hard work begins pretty much. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably all yeah. these tattoo conventions all around the world. You want You can maybe fit them in as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm always, I mean, I never stop working. When I'm, home, when I'm home and we're not doing band stuff, I'm tattooing and I'm working and running my business here. When I'm on the road, I'm doing that. So yeah. it's, a, it's like a candle burning at both ends. <laughs> so, Connor, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you or the band? 
Yes, you can find us at facebook.com, uh, official All Hail the Yeti, youtube.com slash All Hail the Yeti. Basically, put All Hail the Yeti behind anything and you can find us. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, um, shit, I mean, everything. All you got to do is Google All Hail the Yeti and it won't be hard to find. <laughs> All right, Connor. Well, if you get up my neck of the woods, I'll, uh, I'll definitely try and get out and see you and say hello to you in person. Absolutely. Just let George know, man. We'll take care of it. I will. And thanks for the chat. All right. really enjoyed it. Have a good rest of the day. Of course. You too, man. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. couldn't resist wasted years is definitely one of my all-time favorite maiden songs and uh you know reverence did a great cover of that on their new live album and i just you know couldn't couldn't resist it i figured i'd get a little bit of time at the end of the show i gotta throw that one in still kicking myself that i left before they played that as their encore on the on the last tour and then you know i got ticks for this tour and on the legacy of the beast wouldn't you know what they aren't playing wasted years so uh kind of a double beat down on that one so here i go a little opportunity to uh get a little self-satisfaction and spin a classic maiden tune with wasted years anyways that is it for this week again go out and get yourselves copies of the brand new one from accept Teutonic Terror live at Vakin 2017, as well as Connor Garrity and his band All Hail the Yeti's new one, Highway Crosses. And let us not forget the new one from Reverence, Vengeance is Live. So thanks for once again listening to us for another week here at Focus on Metal. But that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Uh. Put your hands up!
over. Go home.